Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. A reminder that the last day that you can get our uh, t-shirts for this uh First initial offers at t-shirt.greatdetectives.net. You can get a t-shirt or you can also get a pullover hoodie. Uh, that's at t-shirt.greatdetectives.net and it should arrive in time for Christmas. So uh, pick up your t-shirt uh, today. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Not Beat, the original air date, June the 5th of 1952. And this one is Marvelous Machine. NBC presents Transcribed, Frank Lovejoy, in... Night Beat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the Night Beat. Chicago Star. Nice work, you say, and nice work it is. Except that work is work, and man gets tired ferreting out the secret side of his fellow human beings. So, as the man said, some seek out greatness, and others have it thrust upon them. Tonight, I preferred the latter method. That's why I was riding around with Jack Manson, the prowl car copper. I figured it this way. If there's a story in the big city of Chicago, a great story, a story that'll make me immortal for a few days at least, if there's a story like that floating around Chicago, I was a little too tired to go look for it. Let greatness be thrust upon it. A prowl car is a good place to wait. The only drawback was Sergeant Manson, the man at the wheel. Next to driving that prowl, he loved talking. And what he talked about most were his, quote, experiences, unquote. You know what I mean, Randy. What I mean is, you see, I'm, I've had the experience. You understand me? Yeah. I've been in a prowl car every night, and you're not, see? But, see, you know how to write. Hmm? Sure thing. A team, we collaborate. Uh-huh. 50-50, split everything we know. Oh, boy, you newspaper guy. You know all the answers, huh? Uh-uh. No, we know all the questions. It's the next best thing to knowing all the answers. Car 203, car 203. This is Lieutenant Burton. Go to 800 Lakeland Drive. Repeat. Car 203. Meet me at 800 Lakeland Drive. A homicide. Just like that. That flat, used-to-it sort of tone I can never be comfortable with. A homicide. At least one a day belongs in any good newspaper. One a day along with an editorial on taxes and the batting averages. I hope I never get used to it. 800 Lakeland Drive was in one of those swanky office districts. Low-lying, one-story modern buildings that looked like they were meant to be lived in instead of worked in. Class, as they used to say, class all the way through. An expensive joint. But Allied Investment Limited could afford it. Open season on bookies, Lieutenant? I don't know what you're talking about, Stone. 
Roma says Allied Investment makes more money investing in racehorses than it does in bonds. Do you believe everything you hear? No. Sign in the building reads Allied Investment Limited. And I don't believe everything I see either. Well, if it is true, it's out of my line. I only get to them when they can't tell me anything about the work they do. Looks pretty crowded in there. Yeah, most of them were here when it happened. Most of them have a story, too. Oh, I suppose all the lights went out. Nope. Getting a drink of water or looking for a pencil, things like that. Uh-huh. Dead man must have been one of the loneliest fellows in town. Eddie McNeil? Lonely? He was too big a guy to get lonesome. Mind if I go in and do a little interviewing? Who with? Why, the victim, of course. Who knows more about his murder than the victim? It was the reception room of a very respectable business organization. When I passed through the heavy panel door, I saw the battery of telephones. Three to a desk. The whole thing was soundproof. A respectable building with a respectable room and a respectable corpse lying in the middle of it being photographed. But that wasn't the only thing that seemed incongruous. There was a face, a good, healthy, honest face among all those granite blocks. And the voice that came out of it seemed awfully tired. Oh, well, then I, I received a phone call. From who? Uh, I told you I don't know if I knew you can be sure I'd tell you. Did he ask you then? Uh, well, uh, in a way, yes, he, he did. He asked me if I was that professor keeper from the university and knew all about communication systems and things like that. I'm, I'm quoting him. Didn't it seem funny that the electrical expert would... <laughs> uh, electronics. Okay, okay, electronics. Didn't it seem funny? Well, I needed the money. I've been called for private work before. Uh, I-, I can prove that. That's why his face didn't fit. Professor Kiefer... A young man, maybe around my age. Only I had a double reason for noticing him. I'd done an article on him, on his work, about three years ago. There was something fantastic about his project. He'd been working on things called high-speed calculators, mechanical brains. The think machines that could do higher mathematical problems while we're adding up nine and four. Or estimate in nothing flat exactly where a bomb should drop. I guess the cops figured he didn't fit either, that he hadn't seen the killer. They let Kiefer go, and I followed him outside. Professor Kiefer. Yes? Remember me? Randy Stone. Randy Stone? You're you're the newspaper reporter. (laughs) You say newspaper reporter as if it were a social disease instead of an occupation. Were you in there just now? It's a ritual. Every time somebody gets killed, a newspaper reporter has to be there. It's like those ancient tribes who painted themselves blue and danced around in the circle. Yes, it seems quite applicable. How did you get mixed up in this? Oh, uh, look, I'm not mixed up. Please don't put it that way. I, I most definitely am not mixed up in anything here. When they called me, I came. It seemed perfectly all right. It seemed perfectly legitimate. The last time we talked, you didn't have much time for anything besides your research work. Yes, that was a very flattering article. I, I never had a chance to thank you. Well, it was a feather in my cap. Professor, let me put it another way. Now, why did you come down here? That research you admired. And I still do. It isn't exactly the road to untold wealth. <laughs> you never impressed me as the kind of man who is looking for the road. Uh, are you going to write me up again? This is a mighty big murder, Professor Kiefer. 
The man who was killed in there tonight was one of the most influential men in the Midwest. My family, my wife, it wouldn't be right to print my name with this thing. I'm not part of anything in there. You, you must understand, Mr. Stone, when I came down here and saw what was here... What did you see? Well, they were a strange group, the way they talked. I, I knew something was wrong. Like what? Well, when I saw what it was, I refused. I told them I, I couldn't do anything for them. N not couldn't, wouldn't. I told them I, I wouldn't do what they asked. For instance? I turned them down. Isn't that enough? They wanted a communication system put in, and I said no. Okay. Sorry. Uh, are you going to write this up? Are you going to teach electronics? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess you will have to. I suppose it's expected of you. I wish it was something nice about you, Professor. I, I liked what I put the last time because I liked the way you thought, and I liked telling people about it. Of course, you know that Allied Finance is headquarters for one of the biggest bookie syndicates in the country. No. Uh, no, I didn't. Mm. Well, good night. Uh, Mr. Stone? Yeah? Uh, do you have a car? Well, not here. Would you like a lift home? Thank you. There was a kind of desperation in his voice. He couldn't let me go without getting his name out of the story. And he talked. He was a little too intense. He was trying a little too hard. I wouldn't find out anything as long as he was wound up like this. I had to unwind him. thing like this can take your mind off your work for a while. <laughs> yes, well, only if I let it, only if I dwell on it. It must be great to be able to discipline yourself like that. But science teaches that. Scientific training. Hardly. It, it teaches hard work. But self-discipline is just another word for patience. Only I've seen an awful lot of table tappers and pencil chewers among scientists. <laughs> yes. Well, you have to believe in what you're doing. That's what the patience comes from. Must be easy for you. You believe in your work. Oh, yes, of course. At least you did the time we talked a few years ago. Well, I, I'd rather not discuss it. You held out high hopes for that electronic thinking cap you were building. It was going to do great things for mankind. Still believe it? Oh, certainly. That it was going to make life better and easier? That its benefits to human beings were unlimited? Isn't that what you said? Professor? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I feel like I'm interviewing myself. Sorry, I'm not very responsive. Uh, Mr. Stone... If you put my name in with the story of the murder, well, I'll probably lose my job at the university. I wasn't the only reporter there. Well, you were the only one who recognized me. You were the only reporter who knew my name. If any other paper comes out with a story and your name is used, my editor will... Uh, you'll have to admit my name. Look, Mr. Stone, uh, why don't we talk some more? I'm sure it's possible that I've forgotten something in the excitement. Something that I've forgotten and I'll remember. Something more. Well, how about my office? Uh, no. I, uh, uh... Would you come to my home? I can think better there. Well, sure, Professor. Sure. I always give a man a chance to think and remember... I was still hunting for the reason. 
Nothing could have shaken this man three years ago. He believed in something then, something good, and still did. Only, well, maybe that was it. Maybe he didn't believe in himself anymore. His wife opened the door as we approached it. She was a pretty woman, bright and attractive looking. Only there was a third look, fear. Oh, darling, darling, I'm so glad you're home. Well, I only went out for a few hours, only a few hours, dear. Yeah, yes, I know. Betty, this is Randy Stone. Stone? Good evening, Mrs. Kiefer. The reporter, Randy Stone? <laughs> Everyone seems to say it that way tonight. Well, come in, Mr. Stone, come in. Betty, would you please put on some coffee? Uh, what? Uh, yes? I said, would you... Why that frown? What is it, you? A phone call. The university? No name, just a... Uh, Mr. Stone, would you, uh, Would you excuse us just a moment, please? What is... What I don't know, dear. It's the man on the phone. I slumped into a chair and picked up a magazine, but I didn't look at it. I was watching the keepers whispering to each other in a corner of the dining room. The look on their faces spelled growing terror in banner headlines, and it wasn't hard to figure that the long arm of the syndicate, which is sometimes longer than the arm of the law, reached right into this house and slapped a clammy hand over the professor's mouth. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Thousands of Americans have made blood donations to our armed forces. Ask any of them and they'll tell you that donating blood is simple, easy, almost effortless. Practically every new blood donor says, why, there's nothing to it. No, there's nothing to it. Yet that simple act may mean the difference between life and death to a boy fighting in Korea. There are millions and millions of Americans who can give blood so easily. And yet we need hundreds of thousands of pints of blood to prevent needless suffering and loss of life. Every one of us who can should make a blood donation to the armed forces now through our local Red Cross chapters or local blood donor centers. So call the Red Cross or blood bank in your community for an appointment. Do it right away, because the wounded can't wait. General Ridgway says... Every American who has given blood can and should feel he personally has contributed directly to the saving of the life of an American boy. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. When an associate professor of electronic engineering helps build a mechanical brain, you kind of expect it of him. But if he's in the office of a bookmaking syndicate when one of its head men gets knocked off, that isn't expected. To get your story, never follow what fits, an old city editor once rasped at me. Only follow what doesn't go together. Follow the contradictions. Well, that's what I follow. Professor Kiefer, a real contradiction. I followed him right into his living room where his wife had taken him aside to say that the syndicate was worried about what the professor saw this evening. Kiefer walked back into the living room with him. I've been trying to explain to Betty, Mr. Stone. I've been trying to convince her that I'm not involved. W would you tell her? Well, I, uh, I got there after it was all over. Well, you saw the police release me. Would they have released me if I'd been important? Oh, no, they, they would have kept him much longer. You are involved. You went there. You were there when it happened. Somehow you're involved. I 
told you, darling. I turned down their offer. I refused it. I told you that. Then why the phone call, Bill? Why the... A mistake. Oh, let's not discuss it now. A mistake. I'm sure when they realize the police are convinced I had nothing to tell them, when they say the police are convinced I had nothing to say... Who, uh, who are they? The board of directors of Allied Finance Limited? It's only natural they'd take extra precaution. To men like that, the world's populated with enemies, real and imagined. All the world is an enemy. A threat? Well, I do the same thing. Uh, an empty gesture, a warning, but, but meaningless. Okay, Professor. Uh, maybe you'd like something stronger than coffee. Perhaps a drink? Oh, I'll, I'll get it. No, no, dear, I'll get them. I'll be happy to get them. I... I just don't understand, Mr. Stone. It, it's so grotesque, you know. You, it, It's like a thing one reads about, but it, it just never happens to you. Well, there's nothing to be afraid of, unless he's called as a witness. No, no. Nothing at all. Are, um, are you going to write up his work again? Only if there's been some change made in the machine. Or any change in the scientist. Is he as important as the machine? Well, Mrs. Kiefer... He's given up his research, hasn't he? Oh, maybe. I don't know. He, he doesn't talk about it with me. He used to, but not anymore. Your husband has pulled something important out of his life. That leaves a vacuum. If I remember a rusty high school course, something has to rush in to fill a vacuum. I've no right to turn against him. You're asking for help, Mrs. Kiefer. You're not turning against him. To criticize him like this. To ask for help. Yes, I probably am. I am asking for help. He did fill the vacuum. A man who works nights must have that uh, success drive. <laughs> You're a very perceptive man, Mr. Stone. And a kind one. No, not really. Just that I have a twisted mind. I, I respond favorably to complete honesty. Please don't be flip. It's the only way I can say I want to help you and your husband. Sorry the drink took so long. Haven't found a way yet to get the ice out electronically. <laughs> the drink was a formality. He wanted me to go so they could talk, and I wanted to leave so I could take advantage of the time that was left. The syndicate doesn't make threats just to keep their muscle men out of mischief. They knew the professor saw something. But how could I convince him that his silence now would only get him a permanent silence? That maybe the storm would blow over, but it would take his head with it. I needed an expert, one who knew both science and scientists. The man was Dean Boswell, head of the Electronic Engineering School at the university. A strange hour to come interviewing, Mr. Stone. Well, I wanted to see if you'd discovered a substitute for sleep. Oh, I'm happy to say it's impossible. Well, that's not very scientific. How do you know until you've tried? Well, now, Mr. Stone, any scientist worthy of his title knows he's an observer of physical laws, not a creator of them. We only explain what is here already and find a way to use it. We didn't invent the world, you know. Well, not according to some of the statements I've read. Pretty big talk for such little fellows. Oh, but not our doing, I assure you. That's the result of our erstwhile hysterical laymen who have elevated modern science to the position of latter-day black magic. 
Actually, there are no scientific secrets, but uh, they've succeeded in almost making us a secret society. The uh, miracle workers. Mm. You'd do our citizenry a great service if you'd persuade them to rely as much on their own humanity as they do on our ingenuity for the solution to their problems. Dr. Boswell, I should have interviewed you sooner. Yes, but you didn't come here for an interview, Stone. You're after something. All right, let's have it, young man. You should have been a city editor or a cop. <laughs> I may still get around to doing both. Uh, what is it you wanted to know? A professor on your staff, a William Kiefer. Ah, Professor Kiefer, yes. What about him? You tell me. A sensitive man. A good person. Is that all? Isn't that enough? What more does a man have to be in this world to be something important and valuable? As a scientist? Oh, brilliant. A brilliant man, Kiefer. Have you noticed any change in his attitude toward his work? I mean, in the last few years. Now, Mr. Stone, I have no intention of discussing my teaching staff with you. Good night, sir. Oh, please, just listen to me for half a minute. Half a minute and then good night. I had to bust in this way. I can't tell you why, not now, but will you take my word for one thing? He's in as much trouble tonight as he'll ever be in his life. What's at stake, Mr. Stone? His life. Ah. What do you want me to do? I'd like your expert advice. On what? Some telephones at the Allied Finance Limited. On the way, I learned a lot about Kiefer. Mostly that I was right in my judgment of him three years ago, and that his life was well worth trying to save. At Allied Finance, it took a little fast talking with the lieutenant who didn't like my bringing guests. Why don't you sell tickets, Stone? You give me a little advance notice on these things, I'll try. Sure, we'll send out announcements. Then it's okay to go in? Well... Thank you. Well, he didn't say yes. Cops never say yes. They just kind of don't say no. <laughs> here, it's over here, Dr. Boswell. Yeah. Which one do you want me to start on? I don't even know what you'll be looking for. Without another word, Dr. Boswell went to work. He moved around with as much animation as a man waiting for a bus, but he didn't miss anything. He followed the circuit wires and switches, the controls, the feedbacks. The lieutenant didn't miss much either. He stood quietly in one corner of the big room watching, just watching and puffing slowly on a cigar. Boswell came back to me and dropped his bombshell. I found it. You found what? It's a garbler. Uh, try that again? The device installed. It's a garbler. It jumbles up the voice on this end and transmits it to the receiver on the other end, which returns the voice to its natural tone. Mm, pretty good for sending racing information across the state line. Perfect. Phone company put it in? Never. This was a private installation. A radio repairman could have done it? Well, no. This isn't the most complicated of electronic devices, but it takes an expert, Mr. Stone. An expert. Uh, one last question. Where's the control box? That room. To your right, through the door. The one where they found McNeil's body. Mm. Well, I guess that cuts it, Dr. Boswell. Please. I would rather not hear your conclusions. There isn't anything more I can do. Uh, you're right. It's mine. All mine. We walked past the lieutenant without batting an eye. A nod of good night, 
And the look on the copper's face said he knew we had the information he wanted. Only if we gave it to him, there'd be one more murder for him to handle tonight, and there was no point in overburdening the police. So we just kept walking. I dropped Dr. Boswell off at the university and drove back to the keepers. Now, how would I open? How could I let the professor know that I knew without scaring him more or making him defiant? Because he had to be convinced. He had to talk and he had to give witness against the killers. My problem was solved between the time I parked at the curb and rang the doorbell. A car pulled up across the street and two very tough-looking gentlemen got out. When they saw me ringing the bell to Keeper's door, they sat back in their car and waited. Oh, Mr. Stone. I thought after our last talk you'd be glad to see me. Aren't you going to ask me in? No. I think I'd better come in anyway, Mrs. Keeper. What, what is it? What? They're parked across the street, Keeper. They came just after I pulled up. Oh, Bill. Now, don't worry, darling. Now, don't. It's all right. <laughs> it's all wrong, Professor. There isn't much time. Now, call the police. Now, get the phone and call them. I have no reason to believe I'm in danger. Now, look. Look, you're too bright. I found out about the garbler. I know. And so does Boswell. Boswell? I took him with me. Now, call the police. Oh, please go away, Mr. Stone. Please. I didn't get you and your husband in trouble, Mrs. Kiefer. I only found out about it. I've done nothing wrong. Nothing. I've harmed no one. Except yourself and your wife. Moralizing doesn't fit you very well, Mr. Stone. That's granted, only I'm not moralizing. When I walk out of that door, they walk in. And you won't walk again. How did a guy with your brain get into this? How? Why? Because I have this brain. Isn't that obvious? But what you were doing was so great. Really? Uh, What do you know about it? An interview with me? An article? What did you find out? That the mechanical brain can compute and evaluate, that it pulls mathematical answers out of the air. But did I tell you that a hundred of these machines throw a million people out of work? They'll find something else? There isn't anything else for the semi-skilled. Only the people with training can survive. Did I tell you about the things we dream of a mechanical brain doing? Running a steel mill, for example... Only the skilled can survive, and they're not being trained. Well, then they'll be trained. That's progress. What's wrong with it? You're beating yourself over the head for doing something fine. Drop a rock in a glass of water. What happens? The water spills over the sides. It's called the theory of displacement. Those men out... The devil with the men. You wanted to know why, then listen to the why. You ask a question, listen to the answer. The water spills over the sides. But drop a machine, a think machine a fantastic machine into a large group of people, and it displaces some of them. What happens when they spill over the sides? Water just runs off, but human beings break. What should we do? Smash everything? I don't care anymore. Can't you understand that? No one else thinks ahead. No one else thinks beyond today. Why should I? Get mine while I can. That's why I work for Allied... Professor Boswell isn't giving up. Boswell is a visionary. He's staying there. He's fighting for what you believe in. Boswell is lost. It's a lost cause. At least he's still trying to find the answer. No matter how misused his inventions are. But at least he's trying to find the answer. Boswell can't see what he's doing. The killing, the... Boswell doesn't condone murder. Not the murder of millions or of one. Even the murder of a man like McNeil. But you do. Because you know who murdered McNeil. Bill. 
Now, you can't turn the clock back and you can't stop it from going ahead. But you can be decent and fight for what's decent. Only decency begins at home. You have to start with yourself. All right. All right. Police Department. This is Professor William Kiefer of the University. I'm scared. Science hands us a batch of miracles, and what do we do with them? We're like kids playing with a box of matches. Sure, matches will help build a fire to warm you and to cook food and to make steel. They can also burn down a house and everybody in it. Only when you were a kid, there was a mother or father standing right there to say, no, no, you'll get burned. But we're supposed to be grown up now. There's nobody around to say that we'll get burned and science just handed us a box of matches. We're looking around for a mother and father to tell us to stop throwing fire all over the place, to use it right. Well, nobody's going to tell us. We're going to have to tell us. And I'm scared. I hope we grow up before we burn ourselves to death. Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by Arthur Ross, with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Kiefer was played by Jeff Corey. Others featured were Larry Dobkin, Frank Gerstel, and Vivi Janis. Don Rickles speaking. Next week only, Night Beat will not be heard because of NBC's coverage of the National Open Golf Tournament. But two weeks from tonight, Nightbeat will be back in its regular time period. So listen then as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Later this evening, your hit parade brings you a sparkling half hour of music starring Guy Lombardo and the orchestra. This evening, Guy Lombardo will feature lovely Eileen Wilson as his guest vocalist. And your hit parade will be broadcast directly from Walter Reed Army Medical Center, Washington, D.C. Then on Friday evening, the Roy Rogers Show offers you 30 minutes of Western music and adventure. Consult your local newspapers for broadcast time. And join us for both great shows heard each week on NBC. Tonight, Dragnet brings you authentic adventure on NBC. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. 
Welcome back. Well, this is another one of those episodes where, even though this program aired uh, more than 60 years ago, there's a sort of a very current feeling with it as they're talking about things like the effects of automation and the consequences of scientific advancement. Of course, this also was just the start of the atomic age. This uh, episode was less than six years after the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And there were lots of questions about how we deal with frightening new technologies. How do we preserve our humanity, our society, our civilization in the face of this? The challenge, I think, in this episode is not to just avoid the technologies or hope that they're never adopted, but to be responsible about how they're used. And I think if you look over the past uh, 60-some years, we've kind of muddled through. I don't think we've been entirely wise with how we've handled it, but we've certainly not handled it in a worst-case scenario sort of way, just sort of muddled through. All right, well, listener comments and feedback now, and I have a Facebook message from Rob who says, Adam, I listen to your shows every day. Please keep up the good work. I've been collecting old-time radio for 40 years, but I hear new stuff all the time on your show. Thanks again from Rob. Well, thank you so much for your comment. It's definitely appreciated, Rob. That will actually do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for Rocky Fortune. And then next Monday, it's another episode of Not Beaten. Meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.